Hello, and welcome to another episode of Rich in Relationship. And I am with my new friend, Brooke Olson, who is the founder and director of the High Conflict, um, excuse me, the High Conflict, I can't read my own handwriting. It's the, please fill me in. The High Conflict Diversion Program. Diversion, it's that word diversion, the High Conflict Diversion Program. We're going to find out. What does it mean to be diverted from high conflict? He's also the author of an amazing book, The Black Hole of High Conflict, which I was saying to him before we started the show is like this perfect name. You know, when people get into high conflict, it just seems to suck you in and destroy like a black hole. It compresses and destroys everything and you can't pull out of it. It's like when you get into high conflict, it feels like you'll never get, uh, you know, unless somebody brings in, you know, a, a warp engine, it seems like you'll you'll never like all those movies, the black hole and all that. You just can't pull out of it. All right, so that's enough of my metaphorical speech. How are you, Brooke? I'm doing really well this morning, Rich. Thanks for having me. Yeah, and it's a pleasure to have you. And I'm going to ask you the question that I like to ask everyone at the beginning of the show, which is, how did your heart lead you to tackle the problem of the black hole of high conflict? Well, you know, I I think um, that's that's a, a long short question um, to answer. the The piece I think for me started through my own experience of a high conflict divorce, mm. and um, I've always wanted to do coaching work, and and I've had a propensity to be able to mentor and do that throughout my life, but. Mm-hmm. About 22 years ago or so, I, I had a high conflict divorce and it was painful. And um, I I had a good team around me. I had a, a, a good attorney. I had a good um, counselor that gave me some good principles to start and, and to begin to understand the psychology of um, how people got into these high conflict pieces. And as I started to explore that, I also started to think about my own experiences again because I went through this as a child as well. So as I was able to reflect on the two ends and the generational dysfunction that happens within that, I was really drawn to um, get into the the depth of understanding the, the psychology and the repetitive nature of this stuff. So I could help parents um, break the cycle, break the generational cycle, break the cycle with within their own families and and really help children get out of the middle of this stuff. And what I discovered through um, my, my experience and, and my education around this was that typically there's a, a personality type that comes in and latches on and keeps this going. That's not always the case, but more than often it is. And that, if I can teach one parent the skill sets that we teach in my program, that's all it takes. Uh, and we we teach a parallel parenting style, which means uh, what the other parent does doesn't matter here. We're not going to get in. We're not going to try to control them. And we're not going to let them control how we do it. We're just going to be the best damn parents that we can be, understand what that means, and then be able to have skill sets to disengage from the conflict that the other parent has a tendency to to bring forward that keeps this black hole drawing that gravitational pull into the conflict. I love it. 
I love it. And I am, uh, I, I, I actually, I'm fascinated by that you teach a, para a parallel pa parenting style. And for you listeners, you know, this is, this is coach jargon. We're going to, we'll, we'll probably break that down for you. Some of you may know, some of you have, may have some idea. We'll break it down for you. But before we get there, the topic for today, we actually framed it differently, but I, I, I really like the name of your institute. It's really, it's, and the topic is how do we divert ourselves from high conflict given that it does feel like a black hole? Yeah, and, and I chose diversion specifically um, because through the court systems, they're often telling people that are in addiction programs to get into a diversion program of sorts. And as I started to explain this, the, the continuation of conflict and these high conflict pieces can actually be addictive. And understanding the addictive nature of it, the, the propensity for us in our nervous systems to want to defend, to want to engage, and not be conscious of the pull that is bringing us into that conflict um, is actually the avenue out. So to, to understand that this nervous system that we have is the trigger that puts us into that, when we start to understand the longing for that contact, that, uh, that addiction to that cycle, what the, what the physiology brings forward that keeps us in it is our avenue out. So that's why I chose diversion as the um as a key word oh there's so much in that so it sounds like we could probably break it down into uh the physical response and the emotional response and of course you know we're one person and those things are intimately linked but uh let's talk about the, the physical response and how addictive that is first break it down for our audience brooke go for it so um there is a a, a trigger when we are um when we're threatened and when we're in these conflicts, there's some the, form of I, a threat. Light or play it's, dead. It's, a, right. it's our amygdala. It's a part of our brain. And it, you, like Google amygdala hijack listeners, keep going. Right. Fight, flight, freeze. Yeah. And, and when that happens, the, the impulse to go into one of those strategies is automatic. But as human beings, we have a prefrontal cortex. We've got another layer of brain here that is accessible thank that, god <laughs> sometimes sometimes it can be maladaptive but you know frequently you know this is this is what we're aiming at and when like you said rich when that amygdala gets hijacked um we're kind of out of choice we're in that boom so well we, wait, be we, we always have a choice but i I'm, i think i mean it's but it sure is a lot harder when you're in that space, you know, when you once you're triggered, there's there's not a lot of reasoning left because the amygdala just doesn't do that. That part of us just doesn't do that. All right. So what's the addictive uh, part of that, though? Oh, adrenaline, serotonin, all of these pieces come on in high quantities and and it's powerful. It, mm -hmm. feels, yeah. it feels good. I'm out of here. Or I'm boom. I'm in it. Or we're, we're either going to run our asses off or we're going to kill someone. Or in the case of freeze, we might just be like, I don't know what to do, but, but I'm locked. 
And all that is, is the, the notion that the circuit breaker has gone off and I am in overwhelm and I can't do anything. I'm just in that frozen state. And it's actually a high level of um, engagement in the nervous system. It's, it's an overwrap. Mm -hmm. And it's a, that's a natural instinct and uh, maybe even necessary though. We hope less than it once was, but what's the, how did we become addicted to the adrenaline? Well, typically we've been in these relationships with these people for periods of time. And, and that responsiveness, it's like, this is all I know how to do. And this is what I do. And the observer self, the piece that, that is needed to come into the prefrontal cortex and come into choice hasn't been exercised. That circuitry isn't there. And this is just what we do. This is what we learned. This is how we did it. And, and typically it's what our parents did. This is what was mirrored to us and taught to us generationally through this. So what I try to teach the, the people that are in my program is, is how to come out of this uh, hijacked amygdala and get into the, the prefrontal cortex of choice. And it, and it requires a moment of slowing things down because the two are mutually exclusive. They mm -hmm. cannot be in coexistence. We have yep. to turn off one to get into yep. the other. And That's what right. that requires is an awareness that I'm in it. Mm -hmm. and, and so many people don't have that somatic awareness of my heart rate's up, my respiration's up, I'm checking out, I'm in a different state. And, and awareness of that state is actually our window back in to the cognitive process and choice. I totally get that. And I, I and I think our listeners do. And I, I think I just want to piggyback on that a little that um, I think there's also a cultural, it, I, I love, by the way, I love that you reference uh, genealogy and genetic, genetic and possibly learned behaviors. Cause I think there's so much of that, that we don't, that we, that as we acknowledge it, um, we start to see, oh yeah, this is stuff that I grew up with and that, I, you know, that I don't, I, but I don't have to have that and I don't have to pass it on. Number one, really important observation, but also I think cult, there's like the wider in the wider culture, there's a, at least here in Estados Unidos in the United States of America, you know, uh, there are a, a lot of our conditioning is um, when the going gets tough, the tough gets going. You know, when you, when you fall off the saddle, you get back on. And there's not a lot of room for experiencing loss or sadness or hurt, you know, which all, and so for many men, and I think more and more for women too, in our culture, it's becoming preferable to feel angry. Cause that feels like when you're angry, you may, may, at least you can win and do something. When you feel hurt, you just feel like, oh God, it's already over. And there, there is value in having those feelings. You know, if we don't have the hurt and the sadness, we can't connect empathetically with other people so i like I, I there's a what i'm the overarching cultural value of it's better to get in some piss and vinegar and plow through it than to experience hurt sadness and possibly connection to your partner you know and that it in itself reinforces this uh behavior which if you were actually in a situation that required survival might be good but fighting with your partner probably isn't that though sometimes it is well, I, I think what you're talking about, Rich, here to a large extent, when we have those anger outbursts, there's a cathartic component to it. And that catharsis feels good. It's like, I got this out of me. 
And there's this place where things start to settle. The problem with that cathartic response going through that anger process and blowing that up is, I think, twofold. One, it reinforces the cycle internally. So that's that place of addiction. That's that place where yes. it feels a, empowering. Yeah, there, there's a. And positive. I want to feel powerful. I don't want to feel that other stuff. So, and I love feeling powerful. And I, in fact, I've known people who created problems just so they could put them out. Firefighters, they're you know they they might even do it. They might do it in their marriage. They might do it at work. So yes, I get I get it. You're right. Empowering and addictive. All right. So we understand the physical and and now some of the emotional addiction. How, excuse me. How uh, in your program? How do we? divert that cycle and it sounds like the first step is awareness the first step is awareness no it's almost awareness the first step for me is education got it the first piece is is what is this mechanism this this neurological mechanism that's firing and what does it feel like and secondarily the developmental components of attachment so when we're working with personality disorders, like we have a lot of in the high conflict um, couples, usually there's there's one that is either in that arena or pushing over the threshold of that, that if we understand the developmental pieces of the, 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 the attachment um, styles of the people that are involved, both the per people that I'm working with and the other person, then they can start to understand how we got here. That's the developmental piece. That's the place where, you know, we're talking about the epigenetic um, components of mm -hmm. relationship and how they move, move um, down the line, both within our family of origin and that of the other. So mm -hmm. I want to have them have that education there. And then the, the physical components that research has told us about the brain in these types of personalities and and where they are underdeveloped and in dysfunction. Mm -hmm. So this becomes less demonized. This is this is not good, bad people. This is just the developmental pieces of how they are in the world. Mm -hmm. So to get them in a place where they don't take it personally, mm -hmm. there's more empathy to it. There's more compassion to it. And I have three rules. They're basic rules that I work with. Actually, there's four now. Actually, I've taken it to five, but I'll start with the three. <laughs> the three rules that I work with with the people in my program are disengage, yeah. disengage, and disengage. Mm -hmm. And they're not repetitive. They, they're they just kind of a laddering of um, a white knuckle, um, a little more competency, and a natural movement toward I don't do it. Mm -hmm. So awareness, acceptance, approval. The two that I added to this were really um, integral in the nervous system parts that um, I work with. And that is the fourth one, which is actually kind of the first one. Don't just do something, sit there. If you can do that, you allow this cycle that's happening with the amygdala being hijacked to come into a more conscious state, settle in before I make a movement. And probably I don't need to make a movement. And the fifth one is orientation. And orientation also has to do with the nervous system settling. Where am I right now? And what is really the threat? And for most people, at any given moment, at any point in time in their life, 
even when they're in that triggered moment, there's not a imminent threat. There's nothing here that I have to do right now. Nine times out of 10. Right. <laughs> maybe, right. maybe, maybe 99 out of 100, even if we're lucky. Right. So if you know if, if I can get them thinking in these terms, then then we're back into the the um, the nervous system, and then understanding how the nervous system works, understanding that we can actually change the brain, that there's neuroplasticity there, and that we can change the way that we think, and we can change those patternings and have pre-programmed solutions. So when this stuff comes up, I'm not knocked off. I'm not um, in in that place of abandoning myself and going into that black hole and that I can start to solve my problems better and I can be more present for my children in that. And I think that that's the key here is that parenting component. I'm actually curious about something. Um, how would you propose or how do you in your program is a better question. How do you in your program help people to uh, deal with the the triggering emotion that like right, well, when let me frame that for the audience right so what we're talking about here folks is not a normal trigger or something happens and you you go from maybe to zero to three you know but what we're talking about somebody says something to you and all of a sudden you feel an emotion that's way out of proportion to what they've said so mm -hmm. you know, we're talking and that's really how what happens with couples is they you know they're masters of finding those spots and saying that thing that they know is going to the reaction will be three it'll be ten you know um and that's how these high conflict exchanges start and continue so what i'm asking here is um in your program how do you help them have a three instead of a ten so it's a process and, and it's a process for all of us you know you're talking about relationship and this stuff happens in relationship all the time. And as that occurs, there's this, um, you just said something to me that really hurt me. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to. And-, and I know and, you're demonstrating, forgive me. Right, and, and in that moment, I have a story that goes off in my head that that is on purpose and they are doing something to me rather than they're having an experience that's set them off in that process mm -hmm. that I have to come back into and go, okay, that's my story. This isn't personal. What's going on for me? Mm -hmm. so bringing it back to me all of the time. So when I can do that, then I am not pushing that other person to make correction. I'm doing an internal correction. Got it. So how do I bring that back in is that moment of I am livid about something that you just did and my nervous system's on fire and I want to address that. So what I'm going to do is my first piece, not don't just do something, sit there. I'm just going to sit down and I'm going to be in that violent sensation that's in my body that wants resolution and learn how not to engage with it. So the, the first disengagement is my internal disengagement, but I've got to be willing to hold that potency of that, that fight or that flight piece until it subsides. And that may be seconds, that might be minutes, that might be hours, but not to step in to that engagement 
So it's a somatic awareness. It's a somatic awareness of something's happening in here. My breath's up. My heart rate's up. My muscles are firing. And there's nothing to do here. So it because sounds if I make that movement, it's going to be a wrong move. So it sounds like what we're talking about is conscious recognition of uh, an unconscious reaction and making a conscious decision that I'm not going to roll with this kind of reaction in this moment. And of course, that takes some awareness and some time to develop. Right, right. Not it a- doesn't, doesn't happen overnight. And what I recommend to a lot of my people is, you know, find some level of, of me- meditation that can help you facilitate that on a regular basis yeah yeah i know the brain studies folks the brain studies show that mindfulness meditation and prayer all fire up that part of your brain that's not your amygdala that is capable of intervening actually the the studies show that if you do that regularly 10 to 20 minutes a day four or five days a week somewhere in there your amygdala actually shrinks Mm. and your cerebral cortex actually grows like that's freaking wild um this is awesome stuff i wish we had more time Brooke, I know people are going to want to find you and your program. Why don't you share with our audience how they can? And of course, everything's going to be in the notes. So our website is highconflict.net. Really simple. Um, If people want to reach out to me directly, they can email me directly at info at highconflict.net. We've got um, a lot of material. We teach classes for people that are in high conflict. uh, cycles with their exes. We have a coaching program. I, I coach people through um, the early stages of their separation into places where they've been in high conflict for years and help them try to find a way to extract it. I work with attorneys and, and therapists in these arenas as well. We have an ongoing podcast that you could find. Great. And I was saying the podcast. The name of the podcast is the High Conflict Co-Parenting Podcast. Perfect. And it's available on all the podcast stations that you follow. Excellent. I have so enjoyed meeting you and getting to know you a little bit here on the podcast. Thank you so much for coming aboard. And I have a question that I ask pretty much everyone, unless I forget, at the end of the podcast. And that is, what is the legacy that you personally want to leave behind? Um, I'm actually in the process of that. I mean, I, I've spent the last 20 years or so really working on this and developing these programs. Um, I want people to be able to take the, the, the products or the, the processes that I've um, developed and take them out and help other people not get stuck in this. So I've got some people that I'm training as coaches. I've got people that I've trained as, as teachers for this program. And I'm in the process of developing stuff that people can just come in and grab. But the legacy that I want to leave behind is one of a, a, a more um, engaged, conscious uh, parents that yeah, teach their children, that develop children, that have calm nervous systems, that know how to deal with conflict, that don't send this down the generational Water. Yeah, that's so cool. And yeah, of course, the ultimate goal is since in reality, everything new comes out of the resolution of difference, finding ways to resolve differences without slipping into 
the black hole of high conflict. I love, I, I love that title. Um, and uh, is there anything I want to add to this? Yeah, I feel like the work that you're doing is highly impactful. Um, you know, and of course, my heart is with you. I'm very invested in the, in this mission of a next generation that knows how to have creative and constructive relationships without slipping into these unnecessary negative uh, behaviors that we've inherited from our parents, grandparents, and so on and so forth. I so appreciate you and what you're doing. And I think the last thing I want to say is what's really cool about what we've been talking about is that we do have a choice what part of our brain we hang out in. I mean, when we're in the amygdala, that choice is maybe really fuzzy and really way out there. But the more we remember that we have a choice, the less we get sucked into the black hole of high conflict. And what's cool about that is there's an implication that we are not our brains, we are not our bodies. And that's something, I just think that's, that's wild, right? Like, you know, th that we are more than that. We, uh, we can transcend the, the, what appear to be physical limitations, at, at least in regard to conflict. Thank you so, so much. Get that it's so important. It's like that's that place where all the choices come from. Yeah, yeah, and, and you know when you're in the amygdala in that eye conflict, that's the last thing in the world you're thinking. About. You're thinking. You're thinking. Kill, 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 kill. You know, or whatever. Thank you again, and I'm looking forward to getting to know you better in the future. Rich, thank you so much for having me.